I'm going to share my heart tonight. I have an idea where I'm going. The Holy Spirit knows exactly where he's going. And so uh, I want to say a couple of words that God wants to heal tonight. Um, there's a realm, there's a world that is spirit realm that we don't see naturally, but it's a, it's a realm that hates life. There's a realm in the spirit that loves life, but there's a realm that hates life. And so we were born into a world that has been disconnected from God. God did not disconnect us. We disconnected from Him. And because we live in a world that is largely disconnected from God, there are things in our life that are targeted and destroyed to hinder us from finding truth, from finding life. Um, first of all, before I give you the words that I believe that God wants to heal tonight, I'm going to say, how many of you have ever experienced a thief in your life? I'm talking physical, spiritual, emotional. Have you ever been ripped off? Right? Is there any, maybe I should say, is there anyone, raise your hand if you have not been robbed spiritually, emotionally, or physically. You've not been robbed, any of those things. A thief has never broken into your house. Okay, I'm looking for the hands. I don't see any hands in the air. Okay. Now, I know enough about thieves to know that a thief will never break into a house to steal plastic jewelry. So if your house has been broken into, it means you are very expensive. You are extremely expensive. And you are worth ripping off. The enemy knows who you are. But the enemy doesn't want you to know who you are. Because when you know who you are, then you'll become something that crumbles every lie. Now the value of every person in this room, every shape, every size, every background we come from, every color, whether we're tall, short, man, woman, Every one of us has the exact same value. And our value is a one and only. We're not one in billions. We're not one in all of the people who have ever lived, all the people who are alive, or all the people who will yet to be. We're not even one in that number. We're a one and only. The price that was paid for you and I to be reconnected to our source of life was the only begotten Son of God. That's the price that was paid. Uh, I, 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 you know, I fly a lot. I fly hundreds of thousands of miles every year. I've got, I, I don't have as many miles as Beck's dad. Beck, Beck's dad is like one of the few on the planet that, you know, is like, you salute him on a plane, you know. But I've flown millions of miles. And flying over here, I was, I was back in the back of the plane. I wasn't in the comfort section. I was in the, the back, back section. I was back there. And the stewardess comes up to me and she says, how did you get back here? She sees my, my status. And, you know, and I could say, well, you know, I should be up front before my status. But you know how I got back there? I got back there because my value is the same as everyone on that plane. 
And everyone on that plane is the same value as me. We are expensive. Now, two words that God wants to heal tonight is the word father. Okay. Chances are that, that you've experienced, even if you came from a, a fairly good home, every home is dysfunctional, by the way. There's not a family that's not dysfunctional. There's not a family that's not, that, that doesn't have dysfunctions, which means there's some manifestation of death of some sort in every home. Okay. And so we've all experienced, some more than others, we've experienced fathers who are absent. Okay, I think of my own life. I've got a great family. I love my children. I've got two sons. My oldest son is my pastor. He's been my pastor at home for the last 12 years. He pastors the church that I pioneered 30-some years ago. My second son, he loves God. He's a pilot. He, We've been good friends and relationship all our lives. My daughter loves God. I've got a, a great family. But you know, I travel a lot. And I remember when my daughter was um, 13 years old, she called me in front of the congregation. It was on an evening service, and she's crying, and she says, she had me come forward, and she says, God said, if I want you as my daddy, I have to give you to the nation. <laughs> And she gave me to the nations. The next day, I'm on a plane. I fly to Portugal. I'm sitting in a hotel. I'm crying my eyes out. And I say, God, uh, I want to be home with my little girl. My daughter writes poetry. She writes deep things. She writes deep things of when she was a little girl. Before we had cell phones and FaceTime and you could contact every day, sometimes I'd be out for three weeks. And she would hope she would get a call. But there would be no call from Daddy because there were no phones where Dad was. And she writes poems of how she would be laying in bed with her mom and she would hope that her, that her dad would call. And it created deep wounds in her. So in a sense, she knows what an absent father feels like. Huh. So we sometimes feel that fathers don't care for us. Or they're, or they're not there for us. They're not there for us. We've also experienced fathers who are apathetic. They don't care. Seems like they don't care. Some of us have actually had dads that don't care. Some of us, maybe you don't even know who your natural dad was. Now, I'm speaking about this simply to tell you that I'm touching this in the spirit because where the wounds are is where the treasure is. Where the wounds are, where the thief came, is where the greatest gift is found. So if you've experienced an apathetic father, one who didn't care, maybe one you never even knew, or a good dad, like I was a good dad, but sometimes you could feel like dad didn't care. And then we've all experienced abusive fathers. Abuse means ab-use, away from use. Wrong use is abuse. No use is the extreme form of abuse. So because in the natural world we've experienced absent, apathetic, abusive fathers, 
we have wounds in the area of understanding a father. Okay? This is not new. This has been going on for generations. We have whole cultures and societies right now. We're in an identity crisis. Why? Because we haven't had any reality that gives us our true identity. Hmm? So let me give you a second word, and I'm just touching these. We're going to, the Holy Spirit's going to lead us into a place of healing tonight. The second word, um, see, I've been a believer for 50 years. I'm 68 years old on planet Earth, so I've been here a while. I've been a believer for 50 years. I love Jesus today more than I did 50 years ago, and I'm pretty radical. I'm pretty radical. Uh, I'm willing to do, uh, I think, I, I don't know that I'm willing to do anything, but I, I haven't seen everything yet. And I've tried a lot of things, and, I, and I'm, willing, I'm willing to do, I'm willing to act, I'm willing to respond. But um, the word friend, mm -hmm. now that's a tough one. Uh, and I'm going to tell a little story. Last summer in July, my son, the pastor of our congregation, he said, I'm going to challenge us as a church community from July, August to September. We should take some time to fast and pray and hear what God is going to say to us for September. But don't fast and pray for answers. Fast and pray. I want you to indulge in the last thing that God said to you. Okay. He said, when Jesus was baptized by John, the heavens opened up. Jesus hadn't cast out a single devil. He hadn't raised anybody from the dead that we know. Uh, maybe some things happened at home because mom knew some things could happen. When they ran out of wine at the wedding, mom somehow knew something could happen with the water. Maybe he watered the chickens and the chickens got drunk. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Jesus poured water around the dinner table and wonderful things kept happening. I don't know. What happened at home, but mom knew that Jesus could do some things. So Jesus really hadn't done anything that we know of publicly yet. And the Father in heaven said, this is my son, <laughs> and I'm really pleased with him. It reads something like, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. But dad would say that like, <laughs> this is my son, I really am pleased. He hadn't done anything that we know to be public, but the voice of the Father was, this is my son, I'm really pleased. And then Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, a place where the devil lives, because God said, wherever there's a dry place, there has to be a devil. He said to the flesh manifestation of the devil at the fall of man, wherever there is dust from now on, the serpent will crawl on his belly. So wherever there's unforgiveness, there has to be a spirit of unforgiveness. Wherever there's jealousy, there has to be a spirit of jealousy. Wherever there's hate, there has to be a spirit of hate. Wherever there's hopelessness, there has to be a spirit of hopelessness. It's a dry place. It's a dead place. So if you walk into an area that is wilderness, that is a dead place, you can expect a devil to be there. Holy Spirit led Jesus into a place where demons live. And he went there, and my son said, he went there and he indulged in the words, my dad is really pleased with me. So he didn't eat food. 
Jesus, I don't know if he did, drank any water. Maybe he didn't drink any water in there. I think maybe that was his fast. I couldn't do that, but <laughs> Jesus was quite a man. And he was led by the wilderness, and he indulged on those words, my father's really pleased in me. So when he was tested, when he was tempted by the devil with words like, if you are a son of God, he knew immediately that wasn't the voice of God. If you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Jesus said, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. Now, I don't believe Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy. Although those words are found in the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus wasn't quoting Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy was quoting Jesus. Jesus wasn't talking about it being written in a book. He wasn't saying it is written in the Torah. He was saying it is written in my heart. It is written in my mind that man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every mouth that can, word that comes from the mouth of God. And I know for a fact that those words did not come from my father. Why? My father's really pleased with me. So voice that says, if you are the son of God. What do you mean? If I am a son of God, I am a son of God. My father, my daddy's really pleased with me. So he immediately discerned that voice. So Jesus was led in the wilderness as a son in a relationship with a father. And he came to reveal us to us something about the father. Something about father, something about friends. So when my son says, go and fast and pray, I literally take that serious. I actually do have lots of mountains where I live. They have snow on them all year long, some of them. And, and I have lots of forest and I spend lots of time because God said that the mystery of God is hidden in creation. So sometimes I just get away from things that men create and I go to something that God created and I let it talk to me. <laughs> and so I'm out in the forest and I, this is what I say. Because you see, 2020 was a really good year for me. 2021 was a fantastic year for me. 2022 is even a better year. 2023 has been a pretty good year. Now, 2020, before COVID happened, this is what God said to me. Okay, I didn't know anything about COVID's coming, and God said, this is a year where you're going to, to find me resting in your life. So I spent 2020, I came home on March 2nd from Africa and was frozen for a year and a half, and I just enjoyed God resting in my life. See, we think rest is you're really tired. It's the end of the week. Oh, I deserve a break. Did you know that when God created mankind, the very first thing that man experienced was God resting in his life. Man was created in covenantal terms. He was created on day six. So man's first day was God's seventh day. So the first thing that man sees is God resting in his life. And man hasn't done a single thing. Man hasn't named a single animal. Man hasn't cultivated a single weed. He hasn't touched a single thing. And he's experiencing God resting in his life. And God says, rest is this. I am very pleased. God never rests because he's exhausted. He rests because he's so satisfied. Did you know that God rests in your life? What makes you holy is not abstaining from the world. Abstaining from the world will make you empty. 
Abstaining from the world can make you dead. It won't make you holy. It just makes you empty. But attaching to the Holy Spirit, the spirit of holiness, that will make you holy every time. Attaching to the one who is flawless with all of your flaws and the kiss of heaven transforms your heart and transforms your might. The, your, your mind transforms your testimony. That will make you holy every time. You see, holiness is the fullness of God in your life. It's not the abstinence from the world. <laughs> Holiness is, ha, ah, I'm in. I'm all in. It's not some reverent piety that is some religious form of abstinence. No, it's a freedom of indulgence in the presence of the one who gives life. <laughs> so I go up to the mountain. I literally went up to the mountain. My son said, indulge in the last thing that God said to you. So I get up to the mountain and, I, and I'm, I'm literally on a log, thousands of feet in the air, looking over ocean there, trees here, more mountains this way. And I said, God, what do you want me to indulge in? You have been saying so much to me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to indulge in. You've been, I've had some delightful years, <laughs> these last years, just you and me. And he says to me, he says, 12 years ago, when the church transitioned to your son, you ended up overnight with a training camp with a bed and breakfast, facilities to train students, everything that was in your heart. Overnight, it was given to you. What did you say? I said, God, you're my friend. I couldn't stop it. I said every day, I would say, God, you're my friend. He said, yeah, and 18 months later, you lost everything. You had to walk away with debt. You lost all the facilities. It didn't happen. And you came to me and you said to me, what's the deal? I said, yeah. And he said, and what did I say to you? I said, well, you said, how did you enter this thing? He said, yeah. And I said to him, you're my friend. And he said, good. Lead the same way you entered. So on a day when everything was wonderful, out of my spirit, I said, God, you're my friend. On the day when everything was terrible, I could still say, God, you're my friend. So then he says to me, I want you to indulge in that I'm your friend. So I spent July, August, September, October, November, December, indulging in God, my friend. I've written a new book. Uh, friendship with God, the empowerment of honor and grace. On the cover is my little three-year-old granddaughter with a FaceTime phone in a little toy stroller. I'm on the FaceTime because I'm somewhere and talking to her. And she says that her grandpa is her best friend. She's three. On that particular photo, I'm talking to her on the phone, and they said, now say goodbye to grandpa, to Gopa. She calls me Gopa. And she goes, no, 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 no. And she grabs the phone and she puts it in her toy stroller and she starts going everywhere in the house that she's only allowed to go if I'm with her. <laughs> and she's talking to me, talking to me, talking to me. And she tells everybody that Gopa is her best friend. Now, why does she call me her best friend? Okay. You see, I'm, I'm at a place, you see, parents are people. God gives children to young people, says young people get kids. That means God gives children to people who don't know what they're doing. Okay, And that's a really good thing. You know why? 
Because if God gave kids to old people, they know what they're doing, and, and it wouldn't work. No. See, God gives kids to young people who don't know what they're doing because he knows the only thing that will figure it out is love. Now, my granddaughter, she says I'm her best friend. You know why? Because I do this. Now, some of you are going to be able to see me in a moment. Some of you won't be able to see me. I do this because I get down at her size and I move into her world. I am really good. I can do princesses. I can do building things. I can do stories. I can, I can do uh, fuzzy rabbits. I can do a lot of things. I, I can do a lot of things with my granddaughter. I move into her world because she needs to know one thing and only one thing. She needs to know that there's a, there's a steadfast father, a great father, a generational father who absolutely knows she was born for one thing only. She was born to be loved. Your Father in heaven wants you to know that you were born to be loved. You see, God is a friend. Now, when God said, I want you to indulge in being a friend, I said, God, God, I got a little problem here. Because, uh, you know, this is... I've been on planet for a lot of decades now, and I've been a believer for 50 years, and, and I've got friends who have betrayed me. I've got friends who have denied me. I've got friends who have left me. I've got friends who just died. I've got, I don't know, how am I going to handle this? I've got a lot of wounds in the area of friends. And he taught me, Actually, my wife taught me something. She said, friends come in pieces. Your Father God is so wonderful, it's impossible to see who He is in one person. So you have to look for your friend in pieces. Now, let's get into this friend thing. The children of Israel... They were in bondage for 430 years. That's a long time. Uh, they were in captivity, which I don't think there was anybody. I know there was nobody that was 430 years old. So nobody had a memory of freedom. They made bricks for 430 years. And they cried out, help! <laughs> and so somebody heard them. God heard them. You know who heard them? Their friend heard them. And so their friend sent a deliverer. His name was Moses. And the deliverer, Moses, brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. But because the children of Israel did not know who God was, they perceived that he was something different than who he really is. Now, I'm going to make a statement that you're going to think is not true, but then you need to listen. Okay? See, they thought that God is God. And so they defined him as God. He's a God. He's God. He's the God. But their experience was gods take things. So they exchanged the gods of Egypt. They exchanged the, the brick taskmasters for a perception of a God 
who takes things. So when God gave them the law that he did not want to give, he didn't want to give them the law. He wanted them to understand his heart. But he gave them the law, and they interpreted that as this is the taskmaster rules. Instead of understanding this is the character of somebody's heart. And so they exchange one taskmaster for another taskmaster. Now, I, when my children were little, I was a general contractor, a builder, a general contractor. I did carpentry. I did lots of work. And, and so my children, when I would come home, they would never say, oh, great contractor. Oh, well, great contractor. We're so glad you're here. Oh, worker of wood. Oh, one who can make bunk beds. Oh, wonderful construction man. No, they said, Daddy, because contractor was not who I was. It was simply what I did. God is not who God is. It's what he does. He does God stuff. He does God stuff. But who he is, is Father. He is our Father who does God stuff. Hmm. I'm going to go back to the beginning now, explaining our, our Father. Okay, In the very beginning, if we read Genesis 1, and we read Genesis 2, we see a covenantal story of the creation of man. Now, it's not a fact story. It's not a story about uh, you know, what they recorded on a video camera as it happened. It's not meant to understand all of science. It's meant to reveal to you a covenant relationship with a covenant father. So in the beginning, the earth was formless, void, and dark. And the Holy Spirit was hovering over the deep. Now, I'm, I'm fairly old. I wasn't in, the, in, in Genesis, but I have had a beginning a few times. And I remember being formless, void, and dark. And I also remember Holy Spirit hovering over me in my formless, void, and dark state. And God, the Father, looks at the formless, void, dark state, and he expresses himself. He says, let there be. So the Father with the Spirit, sees what is formless, empty, and dark, and he can't help himself. From his heart, he says, let there be light. You see, our Father doesn't need anything. Acts 17 says he gives life, he gives breath, he gives all things. It's a perfect world for our dad is a world that's formless, void, and dark. A world that needs life is a perfect world because our Father is not like any perverted Father. He gives life, He gives breath, and He gives all things. He makes you come alive. If you are, He makes you come alive, and then He makes you become an expression of Him as a testimony of life, and He partners with you in life. He gives. He gives, he gives. We were worshiping God tonight. He didn't need us to worship him. We came together tonight. He didn't need us to come together. We needed to worship him. I'm going to give you a, a fact. God's world has never been in trouble. 
Our world's been in trouble. Jesus didn't come because God had a problem with the devil. We had a problem with the devil. So God wanted to tell us who he is. He wanted to tell us who we are. So in the very beginning, God says, let there be light. We see Genesis chapter 1 through verse 3 of chapter 2 is describing what we see is seven covenantal days of creation. But then in Genesis 2, which I don't believe is a chronological story to Genesis 1, it's a different perspective. It begins around verse 4. By the way, in the original scriptures, there are no chapters and verses until the year 1200 and something on this side of the cross. So the story is more important than the number and the verse. <laughs> and so in the story, you have a perspective of what God sees. And then you have a, in the story, you have what did that feel like from human terms. So I remember May of 1973 and prior to that day, I was formless, void, and dark. I was looking for love in all the wrong places. And I, like Mick Jagger, I couldn't get any satisfaction. I tried and I tried and I tried. I made the confession of the Beatles. I said, all you need is love, but I couldn't define what that was. Okay, you know, uh, I, it could have been, you know, that cry has been the cry of the hearts of humanity forever and ever. Where's love? <laughs> Where's life? Okay. It says in Genesis 2, this is the history of God and man. God took dust and he formed man and he breathed into him the breath of life. And then God planted a garden. He took the man that he had formed and he put him in the garden. And then there was a relationship with God and man in this garden. So that tells me, first of all, the earth was dust. It was barren. I remember being dust. You remember being dust? I remember him touching me. See, from heaven, he never saw me as dust. He saw me as a son. He saw me as, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Formless void and dark? Oh, no problem. I give life. I give breath. I give all things. He didn't have a problem seeing who I was, but I was barren. I was in dust, and then he touched me. He touched me. He put his hands on me. He touched me. And then he breathed in me the breath of life. And so I knew two things. I knew barrenness. I knew trouble. I knew dust. And then I knew his touch on my life. And then he planted a garden. And he put me in the garden. He put me in this relationship with him in this garden. <laughs> and in this garden, you read it in Genesis chapter 2. It says there were many, many trees. And the trees were... Pleasing to the eye, they were good for food. And it says that God commanded man, literally says God commanded man to eat of every tree of the garden except for one. He said, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day you will die. So it sounded, you see, now religion says this, you see, if you don't know who God is, if you think he's a God, you're going to think this is what he said. He put you in this place of knowing him, and he said, don't you dare touch that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day you touch that, I'll kill you. But the command sounded like this. The command sounded like, 
Don't touch that one. That'll kill you. You see, sin is simply disconnecting from life. God is life. Disconnecting from your Father. He gives you your identity. He gives you your testimony. He gives you your purpose. He's the one who cares for you. He's the one who's there for you. He cares for you and he fights for you. To disconnect from him will kill you every time. God has never killed a sinner and God will never kill a sinner. Sin kills a sinner every time. God has never hated a sinner. God hates sin because sin kills sons and daughters of God. It's a disconnection from life. <laughs> so I'm going to talk to you about God, our friend. Adam and Eve, they choose this tree that is different than the other trees. And there's one thing that's different about it. It says all the trees were pleasing to the eye and good for food, except for one tree was pleasing to the eye, good for food, and it made you wise. It made you smart. It made you independent. It made you proud. I can do this. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to live a good life. I'm going to do good things, only to find that only after a short period of time, the title of your list really says how to be stupid. How to mess my life up. And when you're down the steps, you realize, see, my disconnection from God didn't help me. It made me have to take the role of God. <laughs> when God, our Father, wanted a relationship of trust and love, He wanted us to be connected to the one is good. By the way, the worst thing in life is not being wrong. The worst thing in life is being dead. Whatever you do, don't die dead. I'm serious. Whatever you do, don't die dead. You should get younger every year. Every year you should get younger and you should realize that you are eternal. You are eternal and there is no death, no death that can stop you. Not even the ultimate second death has any power over you. You are in a living relationship with eternal life. God your Father, God the Son, and you are a son or a daughter of God to be life and to bring life to your world. So God, he comes into the garden, it says, in the cool of the day, Genesis 3, he walks into the garden in the cool of the day after Adam and Eve have chosen to be smart. I know you probably have never chosen to be smart, but I have. I've chosen. I need to know what I'm doing. I've worried about what if I make a wrong decision? What if I, what if I do it wrong? I don't worry about that anymore. Because the worst thing in life is not being wrong. The worst thing in life is being dead. See, I, if you think that hearing God is knowing what to do, you know what your God is? Knowing what to do. Hearing God is not knowing what to do. Hearing God is knowing God. That's what hearing God's all about, knowing God. Life is all about being joined to life so that you can be life and bring life to your world. Life is about being joined to a friend that makes you a friend. Hmm. So the friend walks into the garden in the cool of the day. I think he knows what's happened. And what does he say? Adam! Oh, Adam! 
Adam, Adam, where are you? Woo, Adam, hey, Adam, Adam, where are you at? And Adam and Eve are hiding because they're ashamed. God never shamed them. Because you see, what Adam and Eve did didn't change who God was, and it didn't change what God saw Adam and Eve to be. There's nothing in your life that you have ever done that has changed how God sees you. He's always seen you as a son or a daughter. Now, you haven't always lived connected to him to be a son or a daughter, but he's never seen you as anything less than a son or daughter. You see, he was a friend, a father who's a friend. And sin didn't change his world, it changed our world. It didn't stop God from saying, Adam, I wonder what would have happened if Adam and Eve I'm pretty sure if Adam, before he ate and Eve had eaten, if he would have said, he would have said, babe, come on, let's go to the Father right now. <laughs> Honey, let, let's go. And if they would have run to God, maybe it would have been totally different because you see, God, uh, God can't change his character, he can't change his nature. <laughs> so the friend shows up and he says, Who told you you were naked? <laughs> Who told you you should be ashamed? Maybe you did something stupid this week. Who told you you should be ashamed? Now, that's not saying continue to be stupid. What it's saying is run to your connection of the Father and let Him love you. Let Him change you. See, all through history, we see this thing of friend. There's a guy named Enoch. There's actually two Enochs in the Bible. The first one was a son of Cain, after Cain killed his brother Abel. And that Enoch built a city, and they named it Enoch. Enoch means dedicated. A son named Dedicated built something, and they called it Dedicated. In other words, he tried to get his satisfaction on what could he do. What can I build? What can I create? How important can I be? He was dedicated to what can I do in this world? That Enoch kind of thought, I was born into this world to do something great. The other Enoch, he was a son of Seth, and he was born to realize I wasn't born to do anything great. I was born to walk with God. I was born to know God as my friend. So that Enoch, he walked with God. And it says one day, he didn't die. He went to heaven. 360 years old, he went into heaven. That Enoch, he went to heaven. He was a friend of God. He walked with God. That's crazy. That really messes with the thought that everybody's got to die because of sin. God, the friend of Enoch, took Enoch to heaven, and Enoch didn't die. Hmm. Then there's a, there's a, a group of people. The people are all scattered, and, and there's a group of people called the Assyrians, the Chaldeans. They did things like offer their children to the god Molech, offer them to the gods of fire. And there's a guy named Abram who's a son in that culture. And he hears God. He hears the voice of God. He has no book. He has no Bible. He has no Torah. He has nothing but a whisper in the wind, a voice of a friend, a voice of a father who's a friend comes to this Chaldean and he knows, I've got to get out of this place. i got to get out of this place. So he leaves Ur of Chaldee. By the way, Ur of Chaldee means burning demons. 
great place to raise a family. You know, his his brother stayed behind. Yeah, I don't know, why would I ever want to leave Burning Demon? His dad tried to leave, but he couldn't get out of there. I wouldn't want to leave Burning Demon. But Abram heard a whisper in the wind. It was his friend talking to him, saying, follow me. Now, in heaven, there was no angel, no part of the Godhead that ever saw Abram as Abram. In heaven, his name was Abraham. From before he was formed in his mother's womb, this Chaldean's name was Abraham. Which means this man's name had the sound of God in it. And you know what Abraham is famous for? He's famous for one thing and one thing only. He's the father of faith. He's not the, he's not the shepherd of faith. He's not the prophet of faith. He's the father of faith. But there's one thing that qualified him to be the father of faith. He's God's friend. Because he knew God was his friend. Matter of fact, when God did anything, I said, oh, I got to go tell my friend first. And even when it says of the covenants that God made with Israel, it was because of Abraham was God's friend. Moses came as a deliverer. We already addressed him just a touch. But Moses came as a deliverer. And it says, it says something of Moses in uh, Numbers. I'm going to find this. In Numbers chapter 12. Um, it says, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He's faithful to me in all of my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. He spoke to Moses as a friend. Moses knew the ways of God. The people of God knew the works of God. And they couldn't enter the promised land because they didn't know the ways of God. The only one thing that will teach you the ways of God is to know him as a father who's a friend. Now, when God sent Jesus, the word was eternal. He became Jesus in Bethlehem. He became flesh. The word became flesh. There is a beginning to Jesus. Prior to that, he's the eternal word. He took on human form. He moved into the neighborhood to tell everybody in the neighborhood one thing and one thing only. He came as a son of the father in human form. And he came to tell everybody in the neighborhood, God is your friend. He came to tell them, come to your father. He came to reveal the father's love. God is not our friend because Jesus died for us. Jesus died for us because God has always been our friend. You see, a friend doesn't need anything. So God isn't a friend because he needs anything from us. He's a friend. He gives life. He gives breath. He gives all things. And he came into our world to reveal what a, what a, a father who a friend is. Not a father that you would ever think he's absent or you ever think he's apathetic or you ever think he's abusive. You, you embrace him because you know 
this is my daddy, this is my best friend. Like my little granddaughter says, this is my grandpa, this is my best friend. God wants us to know him for who he is, not what he can do. He wants us to know him as the one who, who has never been ashamed of us. On our worst day, he's never been ashamed of us. When we've taken on names on earth that are not our true names, when we've taken on identities that are not our true identity, in heaven God has always known you by your proper name. He's always known who you are in his heart. You were born to bring the life of your father into your world. You weren't, you see, he didn't come just save us so we wouldn't go to hell. He came so that we could bring heaven into every space of hell on earth. He came so that there would never be an issue of a place that God is not there. He came so that we would bring life to our world. He came to reveal that he's a friend. Friendship with God will produce true faith. In 2 Chronicles 29, it talks about the descendants of Abraham. Abraham was God's friend. He says, the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. You are God, the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. And he's saying, I'm going to give them a land. I'm giving them blessings. And he says, if disaster comes upon us, if sword or judgment or pestilence or famine we will stand before this temple. We'll stand before his presence. In your name is this, your name is in this temple. We'll cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save us. Why will he hear and save us? Because he's our friend. He doesn't hear us just because of our need. He hears us because of who he is. And he knows who you are. So I've come to tell you that you have a father in heaven who wants to be in every aspect of your life. And he wants to, to heal you in your identity. He wants to know that a father gives life. A father is, cares for life. He expresses it. A father fights for life. Our father is a friend and he gives life. And he wants us to know that. Jesus walks with his disciples for Three and a half years in John 15, he says these words, beginning at verse 9. He's talking to his disciples. He says, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Hmm. As the Father loved me, so a human being. By the way, when Jesus was on planet Earth, there was only one human being. Everyone else was a human wannabe or a human doo-doo. The religious were the human doo-doos. The lost were the human wannabes, looking for love in all the wrong places. Jesus loves wannabes. He loves human wannabes. Maybe you're a human wannabe tonight. He loves you because you want to be. He, he's, he's not so pleased with human doo-doos because they're stuck in too much do. And they're stuck in things that he never desired. They're stuck in religious stuff. He never desired any religious stuff. What he desired was a family. What he desires is a relationship. What he desires is an understanding of love to be love. An understanding of life to be life. 
See, if he's the words, you're the story. If he's the words, you're the poem. If he's the paint, you're the painting. If he's the notes, you're the song. <laughs> he wants you to be an expression of life to your world. He didn't come just to get you to heaven. He came to change your world. <laughs> he came to bring heaven into your world. You don't know what this week holds, but I know what my week holds. You, that is this. It holds this. Whatever comes, I got a friend. And he's with me every moment of the way. And when everything is working from my spirit, I'll say, God, you're my friend. And when everything falls apart, I know one thing and one thing only that I need to know. God, you're my friend. And I've discovered with every story, every story that ends bad has a new beginning to end even better. <laughs> so Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, oh, if we don't know who God is, we'll hear this wrong because it isn't keep his commandments and he will love you. You see, if you get a revelation of how much he loves you, you'll respond to what he says. You'll keep his commandments. So when he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, He's not saying the recipe is to do something to be there. He's saying the fruit that you're there is you're doing something. So it's not earning your way. By the way, love is not a command. It's a revelation. <laughs> a, a, a Pharisaic lawyer came to Jesus one day. A Pharisee's got lots of questions, got lots of loopholes, understands the law very good. A lawyer, got lots of questions, lots of loopholes, understands the law very well. So a law-law man, a lawyer, Pharisee, came to Jesus one day, and he says, what's the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. The second commandment is like the first, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Upon these two commandments depend or rest the entire law and the prophets. In Luke 16, 16, Jesus says this concerning the law and the prophets. He says the law and the prophets were until John the baptizer. But since John the baptizer has come, the kingdom of heaven is being preached. People are pressing into it. So in other words, the law and the prophets were until John, but when John came and revealed the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world, now the kingdom of heaven is being preached. Something inside of you is being preached. Something reachable is being declared. And you can grab hold of it. People are pressing into it. People are coming to the love of the Father. People are being kissed by heaven. Demons are coming out. Sick people are getting healed. People who have lost their dreams are being restored in their dreams. People who have lost their identity are being restored in their identity. Why? Someone in human form has come with their daddy's love to reveal the truth of who they are. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach really good news to those who have traded away their riches for destitution. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to open prison doors to those who have suffered the consequence of ending up there. But I'm opening the doors. Come on out. I've got the Spirit of the Lord upon me to open 
and free captives, those who have been taken prisoners by others by false means. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to give you back your true identity, the day of jubilee, the day of acceptance, your inheritance, your name restored. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to declare vengeance to the demon that tried to destroy your life, to kick butt on the enemy. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to give you back your beauty that you traded away for that ashes, to give you back your joy that you traded for that morning, to give you back your comfort that you traded for that lonely place, to give you back your praise for that heaviness that you put upon yourself. Why? So that you can be trees of righteousness, trees who have a relationship with God, who are planted by God in relationship with the Heavenly Father. And then what will happen? Things will be rebuilt, will be raised up, repaired. They'll be raised up. They'll be rebuilt. Your life will be repaired. It'll be raised up. It'll be rebuilt. Why? He didn't come to set you free. He came to make you free. You were born free, but you traded it for a lie. You're a one and only precious gem, a son, a daughter of God who's been in search to discover who he is. And you traded it away for some stupid moment that told you you weren't qualified because of something that you did. <laughs> and Jesus came to restore that. He came to say, no, I've come to restore it. So he says the greatest commandments in the law and the prophets were a commandment to love God, a commandment to love your neighbor. Jesus, in John 13, he calls his, his disciples to him, and he says, a new commandment I give to you. Well, wait a minute. He told the lawyer, the Pharisee, the old commandments. He tells his disciples the new commandment. What's the new commandment? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Even as, as, as I have loved you, love your neighbor as you love yourself, even as I have loved you. In other words, the, it's a revelation, not a command. Even as I have loved you. Love your neighbor, even as I have loved you. Jesus came to reveal the Father's love, even as I have loved you. Your daddy says, I love you. I love you. I love you. This lady right here, you've got a testimony. There was a time when the enemy tried to take you out. Do you know what God says? Daughter, I've made you a lioness. I've put a roar in you, and you have the ability to set captives free. This hand is going to cast out demons. going to break off addictions going to destroy the strongholds that have held people back from understanding their true identity. He says, you're a precious daughter, and I've made you for such a time as this. And the days ahead of you are days of joy. They're days of dancing. They're days of rejoicing. You're going to dance upon injustice, but not in the name of what is right and what is wrong, but in the name of that which is life. And you're going to destroy the power of death, not just for you. You're going to free a lot of people, girl. You'll free a lot of people. Daddy says, I hear your voice, girl. I hear your voice. And I freed you. He's made us, he's always made us to be sons and daughters. So Jesus came so that we wouldn't have a commandment. We'd have a revelation, even as I have loved you. Your daddy has always loved you. On the day that you ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, daddy came into the garden and said, where are you at? Who told you you were naked? Who told you you needed to stay away from me? Sin never created a problem for God seeing who you are. It created a problem for you seeing who God really is. It made you define him as God, another taker. 
another one who requires us to obey commands. I'm going to tell you, if you're living by the command, love God. If you're living by the command, love your neighbor, stop it. And I'm going to tell you, let him love you today. Get a revelation of how much he loves you. It, it, go take a hike in the woods and just let him love you. Go find you, go find you a loves me, a love me flower. Love me flower. You know, the, the knowledge of good and evil flowers look like this. You pick a flower, he loves me, loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. Go find a love me flower tomorrow. Go out there and, and you can pull it apart. God's got lots of them. He's extravagant. He he let he left the heat on high today. He didn't conserve. He's got lots of flowers. So just take one and he'll, he loves me. He, he loves me. And, and switch it. Go, you love me. You love me. You really love me. Oh, you love me. 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 Ah, you love me. Just do the you love me flower until you get a kiss from heaven. If you indulge in the love of God, it will break the strongholds of the enemy. I promise you, if you're wrestling with it with an addiction, quit stop stop trying to get free. Stop praying to be free. As a matter of fact, just just do this. If you if you have a, a problem with a habit, uh, let's say you have a problem with 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 a drug or with an alcohol or just being negative. Uh, you have a problem with something, just go, oh God, thank you for this drug. I bless, I thank you so much for this drug. Thank you that you've given me this thing that can destroy me. Thank you, Father, and just bless it. And see what your spirit says. Just do that. Just start thanking God and see what your spirit says. You see, discipline of the flesh never works. Did you know that self-control is a fruit of the spirit, not a work of the flesh? Goodness is a fruit of the Spirit, not a work of the flesh. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. You can't do fruit. It pops out. You just got to be connected to be fruit. So let Him love you. He's telling the disciples these things that they that he's come to love them. He said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you. The revelation is, as I have loved you. I can't love anybody unless I know how much he loves me. He loves me. <laughs> he loves you. You love me. My grandkids have taught me all about my father's love. There's a bench out in front of my house. And you know what? They hide under that. My, my, especially my oldest grandkids, when they were younger, they used to do this on, on the bench. They ring my bell. They know I'm sitting in there. So they go, ding, 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 ding. And then I go, who's ringing my bell? Now they run underneath the little bench when I say that. Now they're hiding under the bench, not because they're afraid I'm going to find them. No, they're hiding out of the bench because they know I'm going to find them. They're expecting me to find them. And I come out. I don't come out saying, how dare you ring my bell? I'm looking, where are you at? Where are you at? And I, I go to the bench and they leap into my arms. That's your daddy God. Get that in your spirit. Get that in your soul. He loves you. He's your friend. Jesus says to, to these disciples in verse 15, no longer do I call you servants. 
<laughs> he says, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I've heard from the Father, I've made known to you. God's a friend. He's our friend. He wants us to know He's always been our friend. That's why Jesus died for us. So that we would have the correct view of who God is. He's a Father. He gives life. He gives breath. He gives all things. He's never come to shame us. He's never come to condemn us. He's never killed a sinner. Sin has killed a lot of sinners. Being disconnected will kill you every time. But God has never killed a sinner. His eternal judgment, here's his, his ultimate eternal judgment is this. Mercy, eternal life for all who believe. All you got to do is believe. His judgment has already been made. Mercy. See, mercy is the judgment that frees us from law. And grace is the power of God's presence that changes our lives. Grace is a connection to God as our friend. Grace is the testimony that changes our lives forever and ever. So he's a good God. He's a good friend. He's a good father. God is what he does. He does God things. Father is who he is. But father who's a friend defines how he is. Who he is is a father. How he is is a friend. What he does is God's stuff. <laughs> he can do anything because he does God's stuff. <laughs> I woke in the middle of the night a few weeks ago. He got him in the middle of a dream and a conversation with God. And, and uh, I hear the phrase, all things happen for a purpose. And out of my spirit, I say, oh, really? And I'm having a conversation with God. Now, listen to me. All things happen for a purpose. And I say, oh, really? And God says, he says, I'm sovereign in my abilities, my giftings, but my character is relational. You see, God's abilities, he can do anything, but that doesn't determine what he does. What determines what he does is his love. So then he says to me, hmm, all things happen for a purpose, but most things don't happen for my purpose. But there's not anything that can't be turned toward my purpose. So when you say, if God is good, why do bad things happen? It's because most things don't happen for the purpose of God. They happen so that they can be turned to the purpose of God. I'm not dependent on a, on a, on a powerful God. I'm, in, I'm dependent upon a loving God. He can take anything. Sometimes I'm the enemy. I, I know you've never done any stupid things, but I have done some stupid things. By the way, a prisoner is somebody who did something, and the consequence was you ended up in prison. Jesus doesn't set prisoners free. He opens prison doors so that the prisoner can walk out Find the presence of God, be changed, and never have to go back to prison ever again. Why? You know the thief that he got off the cross? He, he had mercy, got him to heaven. He said to his friend, 
Shut up. He, we deserve this. He doesn't. And then he said to Jesus, would you remember me? You know, mercy got him into heaven that day. If he had gotten off the cross, he would have had to find grace. You know why? He was a thief. He would have had to find a change in character to no longer be a thief. God is so good, he not only makes a provision for his mercy to get us in, he makes a provision for his presence to change us so that when we walk out of a prison, we never have to go back. A captive is somebody who's been taken by somebody else. He sets captives free. He opens prison doors and says, come on out to those who are in. He's here tonight. I'm just kind of waiting on our sponsor to see what he wants to do. Yeah. Hmm. So this man right here, gentleman with the wonderful white hair on the top of your head. Yes. What's your name? I'm Dave. Dave? Hi, Dave. Good, good to meet you. Um, uh, there's been some, some crushing in your life that has created some very sweet wine, yeah. some, some very sweet life. And, and you're in a, in a season where God uh, is, is having you pour out of what is within you, of what you've experienced in God, yet there are more things to even experience. And uh, you've discovered that crushing is not the end of the story. It's very often the beginning of the story because it's what comes out from the process that brings the life. It's not the process. And so God wants you to know tonight, he says, son, I, I, I love the flavor of your life. He says, I love how you taste. And you could have tasted different. <laughs> you could have tasted different, but there's, there's not a bitter taste <laughs> in that which is coming out of you. It's a sweet taste. It's the taste of life. And God says, would you let that be a drink for those that I send you to? And understand that it's, it's not in the greatness of what you do. It's in the greatness of what I have made you to be. And you taste really good, Dave. Okay? Bless him. He says you taste really good. He's very pleased. Very pleased. So you, you can look in the mirror tomorrow and you say, ah, I got some sweet wine. Who needs some sweet wine today? Who needs the love of God? Because there's a few things the enemy intended for evil. Didn't work, did it? Because <laughs> at the end of the crushing, it came out sweet. And it came out potent. It came out transforming. It came out life-giving. So it's a new day. Yeah? Uh -huh. <laughs> Trying to hear. I'm going to, if anybody wants prayer at the end, I'd be happy to pray for anybody who would like prayer. But I want to pray for all of us. I want to pray that, that God helps us this week to see him as a father who's a friend, not to see him as a, a judge who condemns us. And if we have a moment this week where we slip up, to understand that we can quickly go to our friend and he will love us. We can come to him through Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit can change us. That we're attached to the spirit that makes us holy. It's not abstaining from the world that, that makes us who we are. It's attaching 
to God our Father who's, who's our friend that makes us who we are. So Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here tonight. I thank you that you are here in this country. Thank you that you're here in England, in the United Kingdom. I thank you that you are greater than any other spirit that's at work in this nation, in this village, or any village around here. I thank you that you, Holy Spirit, are brooding over everything that is formless, void, and dark because you're making room for truth to come into every neighborhood. And that truth is, there's a Father in heaven who's always seeing who we each are. He loved us so much, he took on the form of a father-son relationship that we could see, a son-father relationship that we could see in human form. He revealed what it looks like when a man knows that God, the Father, is his friend. And you came so that that good news could increase, not just get us to heaven when we die, but could increase. I believe that your mountain, God, is greater than any mountain in this earth. I believe that your love is stronger than any weapon of the enemy. I pray that that revelation would come into our cities. I pray it would come into us this week. God, I'm going to indulge in the fact that you're my friend, you're my father, and you're my father. How are you, my father? You're my father who's my friend. And you do God's stuff. So why should I worry? You do God's stuff. You're sovereign in your abilities, but your character, your nature is love. And although there's lots of things around me that are not for your purpose, there's not a thing around me that can't be turned towards your purpose because of who you are. I pray that for each of us this week. I pray that you touch us, spirit, soul, and body. You reveal to us who you are, that we have a Father. Jesus is our friend. We are friends of God. And God, I, I'm inviting you to help, to help me, to help each of us become a piece of you as a friend. Would you help us find somebody this week that we can give to? Because a friend doesn't need anything. A friend gives life. A friend gives breath. A friend partners in all things. Would you help us, even though we need a friend, would you help us find somebody this week that we can give life to? We can value who they are. We can partner with who they are. There's none of us in this room that cannot do that in some measure. So would you let us be a piece of you, Father, that others can see in our world. I think everybody knows God in this room tonight. I think everybody's made a commitment. If you haven't, surely there's a neighborhood out here that probably hasn't. And I would say to everybody in this neighborhood, I'd say to everybody on your block, I would say, let the good news be known. You have a friend, and he loves you. 
And it would be wise if you find somebody who knows that friend and just follow them around and watch them. Follow them, connect to them. You don't even have to believe. And could you and I be that out here? They don't need to believe. I, I don't require you to believe for me to show you who the friend is. And then after a while, if you've been following somebody and you know that God is really good, He loves you, He's a friend, then you might consider believing Him. If you haven't considered believing Him, believe Him tonight. If everybody believes in Him, then could you tell your neighbors, you know, have you seen how good He is? <laughs> he really loves you. He loves me. He's such a friend. You know, you belong. You might as well believe. You belong. You might as well believe. There's no conditions to belonging, but there is a condition to believing. You might as well believe. He's really good. And then I'm going to say a third thing, and this might apply to every one of us in this room in some way, probably does, including me. If you followed him, you saw he's good and you believe in him. But you haven't always listened to him. You haven't always realized that he's such a good friend. That he's such a loving father. And you haven't always responded to his words when he spoke to you. Would you consider responding to him? The story of the man who built his house on the rock is not a man who built his house in a different geographical location. He's just simply a man who took a shovel and dug. And how did that look? It looked like he heard what God said, just like the other guy. But then he responded to what God said. And then when the storm came, because the storm's going to come, everybody gets a storm. Quite a few, actually. And when the storm comes, it's not how strong your house is that counts. It's how connected you are to the one that doesn't shake. <laughs> how connected are you to the rock? And I've discovered there's only one rock that doesn't shake. There are a lot of rocks in the earth. But there's one rock that never shakes. We say it's Jesus the rock. Well, why is Jesus the rock? Because Jesus didn't come to us as a lawman. He came to us as a love man. <laughs> he came to us as the Father's love in flesh so that you would know how the Father sees you before you believe. <laughs> He's the rock that can't be shaken because love is the only thing that cannot shake. He's not a rock that kills. He's a rock that makes you come alive. So respond to him this week. He's not expecting it to be perfect. Just practice. If it sounds like he's ashamed of you, it's not his voice. If it sounds like in your worst moment, this is my daughter, I'm really pleased. If it sounds like that, that's God. Would you respond to that voice? You see, you can't earn his pleasure. It's a revelation. He's pleased with you before you do a single thing. You can't do anything that's not true to your identity and stop him from seeing who you really are in your identity. 
you can't live a lie and he he will not see the lie. He keeps seeing the truth. He doesn't see your spots. He doesn't see your blemishes. He doesn't see your wrinkle. Sin doesn't cause a problem for him. It causes a problem for you. He will never put on you something that he took off of you at the cross. You see, at the cross, the tree of life stretched out his arms and willingly laid his life down on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that tree couldn't swallow him up. Whatever he took off of you, he never put on you again. <laughs> so would you help us get a revelation in that, Jesus? Practice realizing he's your father. And how is he your father? He's a friend. Not because you did anything right. But the more you know who he is, the more right things you do. But even better than that, you'll be alive. And you won't die dead. And you won't live another day. Less life. But you'll live with more life.